we are back um, getting into our study in uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be hanging out in verse 3 today. As we start, um, what, what last week we began by calling uh, our series Hashtag Blessed. And if you were with us, you remember we talked about what, is, what does it mean to be blessed? All right. What does this idea of, of being blessed truly mean? And, and we said that um, when we go back and we look at what uh, the gospel writers meant by this word, um, the word in, in Greek is makarios, uh, and, it, and it really means uh, to be happy. Literally translated, it means to be happy, but it's not happy the way we think of happy. It's not happy based on circumstances in our life, uh, based on us getting uh, enough of these outward things, but it's a inward satisfaction of sufficiency um, that doesn't depend on outward circumstances. And so it's a it's an inner happiness that happens based on who we are and whose we are, not based on the things that we have. Uh, we also said that we're going to pick up on this bedrock principle, um, uh, not just here in the Beatitudes, but but really kind of throughout Jesus's message. Um, in the Gospels, he brings this message of the upside-down kingdom and how things that we think uh, should operate or be a certain way, um, Jesus takes those and he, and he flips those on, on their head. Um, and so in the Beatitudes, it's the same way. These things that uh, people, people that we would consider to be blessed uh, are not the ones that Jesus talks about. Uh, Jesus says the ones that are blessed uh, are those that are inward focused, that are upside down from what we think. And so uh, we said that in an in upside down kingdom, we are blessed from the inside out, right? It, it starts on, on the inside, and that affects everything else on the outside, everything else in our life, um, not in, in reverse. And we talked a lot about how our culture uh, would even say that uh, what's on the, ins- on the outside makes you content on the inside. Um, and, and, uh, I had a great reminder of that. And so I, I shared this with my life group on Thursday. Um, but I get home Sunday from church and all pumped up about talking about the background of what it means to be blessed and how it's about these inward things, not these outward things. And I'm like, man, I got this right. Um, it's not about these outward things. It's not about having more things. And I get home and I look around and like, we've just been busy all weekend and the house was just wrecked. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Probably most of you, your houses never get that way. But sometimes for us with, you know, with a bajillion kids, our house gets wrecked sometimes. Um, and one thing you may not know about me, I do not operate well in messy conditions. Like I, I can't work in my office unless everything's straight and organized. In fact, last week Tom said he's going to come to my house and break in one day and just move everything just a little bit out of the way just to mess with me. Uh, it would be an awful week. So if you ever see me and I'm not sleeping, I haven't slept for days, it's because Tom's coming and mess with everything in my house. Um, but I, get, I got in this moment Sunday where I was just like, I got all worked up and all upset because the house was a wreck and I felt like I had to do all that. And I was talking to Nicole about it. I, we were having a, a discussion about it. Um, and, and I, really, I, I was really frustrated um, to be honest with you about how messy things were in the condition of the house and all of that. And then she said something to me. She said, I would rather spend my time pouring into our kids and building a relationship with them than about these other things. And it really hit me in the moment because I was like, man, I just stood up here. And I just talked about how it's what's on the inside, not on these outward things. And, and I guess for me, I, I wasn't considering preferences as part of that, right? But we're not blessed based on just because we have our preferences as well, just because we have everything in our life going the way we want to be. We're blessed from the inside. It's these inward spiritual things that um, that cause us to be blessed. And so we truly are blessed today. If you were a follower of Jesus, um, you were truly blessed. And so uh, as we as we begin today, we, we get to look at this first blessing that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter five, verse three. And um, as, as, as you get there and as we, we begin to look at that, I want to just uh, say one, one little note that I picked up from uh, Charles Spurgeon this week that I thought was really helpful um, as we look at that. Uh, Spurgeon said that uh, as the Old Testament closes, it closes out with a word of curse. So in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, um, it, and, and I think we have a, do we have a slide for that, Kent? Malachi. Maybe go to the next slide. It might be on there. Yeah, go to the next one. 
There it is. All right. So Malachi chapter six, uh, chapter four, verse six says this. Um, so he talks about how he will turn the hearts of the fathers and the children of the fathers. But if they don't, he's going to come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And that's like that's how the Old Testament ends. Is like if you don't turn your hearts and this doesn't happen, there's going to be utter destruction. But yet Jesus begins the New Testament. He begins his his public ministry really here in chapter five with a blessing, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think that's just a, a beautiful thing to note is that Jesus changed this curse into a blessing. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, and, and so it's going to be really simple um, the next several weeks because we have one verse. Um, and so it's going to be really simple for as far as the passage goes. So verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you will, let's, uh, let's just pray. And just uh, ask God that he would, he would be with us during our, our study this morning, our time in the Word. Uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into this passage. So, Father, thank you again. Um, it's already been lifted up to you this morning for our time together. Uh, but right now, we just want to ask that you would teach us from your Word. God, that you would teach us from uh, what your Son, Jesus, said to us in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 3, about poor in spirit and what that truly means, God. Um, and help us to take that and then internalize that and make it practical in our lives as we live that out. God, so we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So whenever you, whenever you get to a point where you're preaching one verse, this, there's a challenge with that. Um, I was sharing this morning, like when you get a, a big, rich passage like, like in Romans where it's just got lots of verses and things, um, but when you get one verse, there's some challenge in that. And so we're going to, uh, hopefully it won't seem too monotonous, but we're going to try to just dive in and, and dissect this this verse that we have today. Um, so J- Jesus says, as we know, that context of blessed on the inside, that inward that inward contentment, right? And he starts out with poor in spirit. I think that's important to realize. It, Jesus is building a character um, profile of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so he begins at the very bottom level of what is the most foundational thing. If we're going to follow Jesus in this life, what does it look like for his followers? Um, he's speaking to his disciples here, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the word poor here, um, there's, there's two words that are used in the Greek uh, for poor. One of those words means a man who just has nothing, uh, nothing extraordinary or, uh, or fancy or anything like that. He's kind of got the basics, the basis. But he doesn't have anything fancy. He doesn't have anything extra, right? So he's got his, his the basics he needs for life. So he's got shelter and food and, and maybe some of those basic things. But there's nothing extraordinary about his life. That's not the word that, uh, that Jesus uses here. He uses another word. And this word here means someone who has absolutely nothing. Absolutely destitute who has nothing at all. This is the person that God said is blessed. The poor in spirit. Um, John MacArthur says that um, this is the picture of the beggar on the street, right? And the beggar on the street that is, that is so low and so broken that he won't even look up at you as he's holding out his cup for money. That he, that he can't even look because life has just beat him down so much and he is so poor that he just holds his, holds his cup up there but he can't even look at you. That's the idea of this word here, poor. But it's not just poor financially, but he goes on, it's poor in spirit. And so when, when, when this, poor, this word poor, uh, which, which really is like the idea of a beggar, when that's tied with the, with the idea of being poor in spirit, it refers to those, as one commentator says, it refers to those that have taken the message uh, of Jesus and repented for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They have admitted their need for God's mercy and turned away from their own confidence in themselves and their reliance in their physical needs. They have come to see themselves as spiritually impoverished and in need of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. It's, it's the idea of someone who has had a true understanding of their spiritual condition. That's what this word means, poured in spirit, that are, that are anguished in their spirit. Um, and we get a few places in, in the Old Testament that, that uses this same sort of phraseology that I think is helpful for us to understand what this means. Um, and so one of those is, is Psalm chapter uh, 25, Psalm 25, verse 16 says this, uh, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am 
lonely, lonely and afflicted. That word afflicted here kind of has that idea of that, that spiritual poorness. Um, and then in Psalm 40, verse 17, it says, Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Can, can you hear the desperation in that, in that, in that psalm? As the, as the psalm writer is calling out to God, like, like I am in such a low spiritual place. I am so broken and low that I'm just crying out. God, if you don't come and rescue me, nothing else can. And that's the idea here of, of being spiritually, spiritually poor. Or maybe in Isaiah 61, where Isaiah writes, The Spirit of, of God, uh, of the Lord, is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to who? Who's he bringing good news? To the afflicted. And that's our word right there. Um, that's our Greek word there that means, um, that means poor in spirit. That's, that's who Isaiah is saying that the good news is going to come to. Um, consequently, Jesus quotes this same verse in the Gospels. right? Jesus says that's his mission is to bring this good news to who? To the afflicted, to the broken to the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoner. And so those are the ones that Jesus comes to in the gospel. It's not the ones that have it all together. It's not those that feel like life is just going wonderful. It's not even the spiritually elite that Jesus goes to. It's those that are broken. It's those that are spiritually broken at the lowest place they can possibly be. So what is it that I want you to wrap your minds around? Okay? When we say poor in spirit, I want you to wrap your minds around the idea of being spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt. Um, and I think we can equate this some, some ways as to what it would mean to be financially bankrupt. To be at a place where you are just completely depleted. Um, and so what I want us to do is I want us to take a couple minutes together um, and in your group. Um, and so probably we could just kind of split the room maybe today and, and kind of get two circles going. Um, but I want you to, to just kind of discuss what do you think this phrase, um, spiritually bankrupt, what do you think that phrase means? Um, if you were to talk about that, what would that look like um, to see someone who is spiritually bankrupt? So let's take a minute or two and discuss that, and we'll come back together, um, and we'll, we'll dive in a little bit deeper into this idea um, that Jesus presents here. All right, guys, we're going to jump back in together. Uh, well, hey, we're right there. <laughs> You might want to get comfortable. It's going to be a couple minutes till we get back into our groups again, I think. So what did you, um, what did you, would y'all come up with, what did y'all discuss in your groups? Um, spiritually bankrupt. What, what did y'all say? What are some of the phrases? Empty. Empty. Good. Defeated. Defeated. Okay. Worthless. Okay. Nothing you can do on your own. Okay, good. Yeah, so it's the idea of emptying of all self-confidence, of self-importance, and self-righteousness. Um, it is, it is a, a emptying of all of those things. And so as we turn to look at this concept of, of spiritually bankrupt um, and this perspective that Jesus gives, right, that uh, it's more blessed to be as he's going to say, spiritually bankrupt um, or, or poor in spirit. Um, I think one thing that's important to realize is whenever you talk about perspective, right, there's this, uh, there's this idea that um, when it comes to perspective, I think this is the next slide, Ken, um, where I stand is what I see. And, and that, goes, that goes with a lot of things. Um, when we think about our perspective, when we think about um, maybe uh, situations we have in life and, and our observation, our perspective of those situations, where I stand, where, how I see that situation determines a lot of what I can see, how I see it, right? So if I, if I put myself in a place that, um, man, it's all about me and what I want, and, and I'm standing and I'm looking at a situation from what can I get out of this situation, what is it that's going to benefit me from that, I'm going to see that perspective a certain way. But then if I'm, if I'm standing in a place where I realize that, man, like Jesus is going to say that it's, it's not about me and it's, it's, it's really quite the opposite. It's trying to empty myself of selfishness and those things that are about me. I see a situation completely different. 
And so that's just an important thing as we go each week and look at these perspectives. It's important to realize in, in, in our own lives, uh, sometimes when we struggle with some of these things that Jesus is, is going to say, like, man, what do you mean it's better to be poor in spirit and broken? Like, how is that any better than to be, like, filled and full and all of that sort of stuff? We have to realize that our perspective plays into that so many times. And so as we look at spiritually bankrupt, I really think that um, the way we become spiritually bankrupt um, has to do with things that we identify in our lives, things that we identify. Um, and, and I've kind of come, as I, if I try to pull some scripture together um, that help us to understand this, uh, I've kind of came up with three, three different things in our lives that we can identify um, that will help us in the path of being poor in spirit or spiritually bankrupt. And the first of those is to identify my sinful condition. Identify, right? I need to understand the depths of my heart and the darkness and the brokenness of my sin. Um, because if, if, if I don't understand what my sin has done in my life, if I don't get to that place where I admit that I have a sin problem in my life, I'm never going to want to work on it. It's always going to be somebody else's fault. It's always going to be another reason why things are not going right in my life. There's always another reason why I'm not going to follow Jesus, right? Because I'm not going to first identify. I'm never going to get to that place of being completely broken um, and, and, and bankrupt. And, and the Bible is, is clear over and over again about our sinful state, our, our sinful condition. Um, again, we go to, to the book of Psalms, the, the, the collection of the Psalms, and, and the writers in the Psalms, I feel like, just have such a, such a transparent way of uh, talking about what's happening in their heart and in their lives, uh, about the sin that's in their life. And so, um, first in Psalm chapter 51, uh, verses 3 down through verse 5, um, listen, listen to how the writer puts this. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was even brought forth in iniquity, and in, my, in sin uh, did my mother conceive me. Uh, the psalm writer is, is, is acknowledging that from the beginning there was sin in my life. He's, 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 he's acknowledging that, that, man, there wasn't even a moment where I came into this world that I was good, that I was right. That, man, I even, I even came forth in sin and iniquity and, and, and my transgressions, man, my, my sin, my, my things that I've done against God, those are, those are ever before me. They're ever present. So it, it helps us to see that there's this understanding that, man, we, we have this mess, this sinful condition in our life. Um, Psalm chapter 22, verse 6, the writer says this. Listen, listen to the words. This was pointed out by, by one, of our, one of our elders in Roanoke. Um, he brought this, this to us as we were discussing this verse. But it says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. I mean, think about how low that description of, of me is, right? It's a psalm, psalm writer writing and just looking at his life and just saying, man, I, what it comes down to, I'm just a, I'm a mess. I'm a worm. I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy to be called human at that point. You see, a, a lot of times we, we look at our lives and we, we like to look over that broken, messed up, sinful part of our lives. We like to, to just kind of cover over, color over that broken, sinful part of our lives. And we, when we look at our lives, all right, in our perspective, right, the, 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 from where we're standing, we're like, you know what, I'm not that bad of a person, right? Compared to that person right there, like, I'm actually doing pretty good, right? Like, I'm not in jail today. Uh, I provide for my family. I'm doing pretty good, right? But what I think the psalm writer does, and in many other places in the Bible, um, says that that's the wrong thing to compare ourselves to. Is, is we look at God's perfect standard for our lives, we see that we miss that, and we have this horrible, sinful condition in our lives. And I'll just be honest with you, like this is not popular in our culture to talk about. It's not popular to tell people that, man, you're messed up from the beginning. Like you have a sin nature, and and like there's nothing you can do to fix it. Like that's not that's not a popular message. Uh, in fact, the majority of of our um, of our culture today 
is very much against that. It brings a message of, man, you are, you're good, you're a good person at the core, you're, you're worthy at the core, you don't need anybody or anything, like you have all that you need to make yourself what you need to be, right? And that is the exact opposite of what we find in the Word of Scripture. And so we have to identify our sinful condition. Um, Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 verse 6 says it this way. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, right? Each one of us have turned away from God. There's no one that, that follows God perfectly on their own. And that's the starting point, right? And I think that's what Jesus is setting up here. He's saying like, you know what? I'm going to tell you about the people who are going to get into my kingdom, right? Because remember, this is the upside down kingdom. And the people that are going to get into my kingdom are the ones that realize right off the bat that they don't have it all together. And they can acknowledge and identify their sinful condition. But I think secondly, and, and, and tied very closely to understanding our sinful condition, is to be able to identify my inability to fix that condition. Right? It's one thing to say, you know what, I got a, I got a problem in my life. I got a sinful problem. There's something going on in my life. But then there's a, it's another step to say, and there's nothing I can do on my own about it. There's nothing good enough about me. There's nothing uh, holy enough about me. There's nothing righteous enough about me that I can fix it on my own. And that, that's, a big, that's a big pill to swallow, isn't it? Right? I mean, I, I, I'm not going to stereotype, but I can just say from my experience as a man, it's hard for me to look at a situation that needs fixing and saying that I can't fix it. Right? Because what's going to happen, right? I, this is just coming off the cuff, so I have no idea where this is going to go. But I get to the house, right, and I see something that's messed up, that's broken, right? So the kids have broken something at the house. Not that they would ever do that, but at my house, they break stuff. Uh, I know your kids are probably perfect angels, and they don't do that. But my kids, we're still working through that process. They realize that they're sinful people. And so we're getting to that moment, right? And so they broke something in the house, and I get to that moment, and I'm like, you know what? I can fix this. There is something at my house or at Lowe's that I can get together and I can fix it. <laughs> Right, And I have a really hard time when I have worked on something for hours and hours and hours, and then I can't fix it. And then i got to pick up the phone and be like, hey, hey Sam, um, have you ever um, tried to – have you ever had a door handle that you can't get to get open? It's really embarrassing when company shows up and you can't let them in your front door. Um, I can't figure out what's wrong with my door. Um, that's hard just on, on simple things. I think it's even harder at the root when we have to realize that – I'm broken and I'm sinful, but yet there's nothing I can do to fix it on my own, right? That's hard. It's hard for us to take our hands off the control in that moment, isn't it? Um, there's a, uh, uh, I guess he's a theologian, uh, commentator, a guy named uh, Sinclair Ferguson. I like that name, Sinclair. You don't use that enough. Sinclair. Good name for a cat. Sinclair Ferguson, though, he writes this, and, and I, love, I, I love what he says here. He says, uh, we are urged today to develop almost every other kind of spirit except a spirit uh, of poverty. The sad truth is that we know little about this blessing uh, which Christ speaks of because we are often too full of ourselves and our own meanings of this blessing. In fact, there is no sadder commentary on our lack of this spiritual poverty than the readiness so many of us have to let others know what we think. But the man who is poor in spirit, who is who has been silenced by God and seeks only to seek what he has learned in humility from him. And I think that's the problem, right? Sometimes we're so filled with the fact that we know everything that we're not open to realizing that we can't even fix even our own problems. And I think this happens a lot even in the church. And I know I'm speaking this morning like this is, this is a church people. These are people who, who know the gospel, right? We, we've heard the gospel, and, and for many of us, we've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so now we're trying to live this community. But one thing I find in my life, and, and it probably is true in your life, is that sometimes we get so focused on fixing other people's problems, but we have a really hard time admitting that we can't even fix our own problem, right? Like, we can look at our spouse and be like, babe, you got some, you got some things to fix in your life. You got some things that are that are just man. We, you need to work on these issues in your life, and then if it's pointed out that there's something in your life, what's our response to that? Right? Oh no, I got that. I'm, I'm I'm working on it. Right? I'm just a work in progress. God's got it. 
it's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for all of us, I think, to admit that we can't fix it on our own. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, when we realize that we can't fix it on our own, we almost feel like there's no hope in that. Um, like we've lost, like we've given up. And that's the exact opposite of what the poor in spirit should be. Uh, Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 3 as he looks at humanity and, and, and what it looks like for us to try to do things on our own. And he says this, he says, for, for we are, he's talking about the, those that are, that are of this certain class. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ. And he says this, but, but put no confidence in the flesh, right? There's this idea that, 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 that there should be no, we should put no stock in the flesh, in ourselves, in our ability to fix things on our own. Or as he says probably more directly in Romans chapter 7, as he looks at his life and, and the things that he, he does, he says, for I know that no good thing dwells in me. Right? When was the last time that we made that statement? Right? That's, a, that's a heady, that's a weighty statement to say. There is nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. For if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, right? Paul understands that, man, even the things that I want to do, I want to be a loving husband. I want to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. I want to be a compassionate person in this world. But sometimes it seems like the harder I try to do those things on my own, the more I fail the further I get away from that standard. And I think sometimes we have to get, as Paul will say in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? And he sets this up to say that it's, that it's Jesus. That's our only way, is by acknowledging and understanding that there is nothing in us that can fix the problem. There's nothing good enough about us. So I hope you weren't feeling down today because I'm, I'm coming with such a message of encouragement that there's nothing good or worthy in you. Um, but I think that's the starting point of what Jesus is saying is that we have to identify that, man, we got this sinful problem and there's nothing I can do to fix it. But yet the good news is also identifying my complete dependence on God. And even though there's nothing that I can do to fix it, there's nothing that I can do to make it better, there is one that can. And he does it perfectly. Right? It's by then turning and putting complete control and trust in the Father, in the one that is able to do that. So as Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 5, right? He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, um, he will bear much fruit. But what else? He said, but from apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, right? We're, we're worthless apart from Christ. Paul's going to say in Scripture, he's going to say, man, even all my good deeds that I try to do, it's like filthy rags. It's just garbage, right, apart from, from Christ in us. And Christ in us is where we see the good things that happen in life. They come from him and what he's doing. In Romans chapter 5, right, we're kind of jumping all over, over the book, to, uh, the Bible today, but that's what you do when you have one verse to work from, right? Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 8 and 9, talk about what, what it was, that, that dependency that we needed to have on God, right? So he says in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, we were, we were in the depths of our sin. We could not save ourselves when God came, when Christ came and died for us. It's not dependent on what we can do, it's what he's done for us. Or as Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for it has been by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift from God, not a result of something that you can do of your works, so that no one is able to boast. Right? There comes this place, if we want to be spiritually bankrupt people, if we want to be poor in spirit, as Jesus calls, and learn to live this blessed life in that way, that we understand that there is nothing in us, but it's complete dependence on what God has done for us. 
that's going to bring that blessing. I mean, think about it for a minute, right? When you get to the, to the end and you get over those humps of realizing that, man, I'm sinful and I'm broken. There's nothing I can do to fix it. But yet when I understand that I can put my complete dependence on God and he can do what I could never do, there's a weight that gets lifted off of you. So I don't know about you, but man, I get tired sometimes in this life of feeling like I got to fix everything in my life. I get tired sometimes of feeling like, man, I gotta, I gotta pull it all together, and I gotta do enough, and just throw it on my back, and you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and make things work, right? That gets tiring, and that gets heavy, and I think that's why Jesus says, "Come to me, all who are, who are, who are burdened, and and, and I will give you rest." Right? Completely identify our dependence on God, and this can be challenging in our culture as well. As uh, A.W. Tozer once said, he said, It appears to me that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. Right? I mean, it's, it's easy, I think, when we walk into these church circles and we talk with, with brothers and sisters in Christ, it's really easy for us to talk the talk and talk about everything in life, that it's all going great and everything's wonderful. Um, all the while kind of feeling like, man, I still got this. I still got this, right? It's completely inconvenient, though, to lay all that down and completely have to trust God for everything, right? Every, every bit of our lives, um, the good and the bad, everything that comes, completely put it in his hand and trust him. That's, that's hard for us to do. From the tozer? Yeah. He says, it appears to me that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. Inconvenience of, of actually putting in and what it means to be in right relationship with God in order to be right. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a few more minutes together and I want us to talk about, we talked about three areas in our life that we need to identify in order for us to be spiritually bankrupt. And those are challenging. Those are challenging areas. All of them are challenging. But which would you say for you um, right now is, is, is maybe the most challenging for you in your life? To identify my sinful condition, to identify my inability to fix it, or to identify my need, my dependence on God, and those things that I can't do. And when we come back together, we're going we're gonna to take and we're going to look at a, a story, a parable that Jesus gives in the New Testament about um, what it looks like to live as a spiritually bankrupt person. Okay? All right. Well, we're going to come back together and we're going um, to look at an example that Jesus gives um, in the Gospels of what I feel like is a picture of this spiritually broken um, this spiritually bankrupt, this poor in spirit person. Um, this is a, this is what I'm calling our inside out story, um, and and I think throughout the Gospels, I love Jesus not only gives teachings on things and points things out, but he also um, he also in a very practically way, practical way gives gives stories that help us to understand these principles and these things that he's teaching, and so. Um, today we're going to be looking at a parable that he tells in Luke chapter 18. Uh, Luke 18, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. Um, and you're probably familiar with this story. Um, Jesus gives a story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Um, and so I'm just going to read it to you, and, and we'll talk about, hopefully it'll help paint this picture in a little bit more. Starting in verse 9, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. All right, so it's important to realize who's his audience that he's saying this to. Um, and, and these people also treated others with contempt. So here's what he says, starting in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, Thank uh, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extorters, unjust adulterers, even like this poor tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
I think that's a great picture, right? Here you have one person that from the outside, the outside perspective, the, the Pharisee would look like the spiritually poor, right? I mean, the, the Pharisees made, made it a job, a career to go around and to let other people know how religious and spiritual they were, right? They would walk around and they would, they would pray these, these long, elaborate prayers just so people would know how spiritual they are. Then on the other hand, you have a tax collector who was very obviously hated, right? Uh, if Ross was here this morning, he would tell you that uh, the tax collectors were hated so much because they were, they were Jewish people that were taking advantage of their own people, right? They were working for the Roman government, and they would tax them Rome's tax, but then they would kind of put their own little fee on top of that. And so they were considered some of the lowest of the low. And so from the outside, the tax collector would look like the one that would be far from God. But then we see what's on the inside, right? The tax collector or the Pharisee, as he's praying, he's like, man, God, thank you that I am so much better than all these other people. So I look at all the things that I do that I am so much greater than them. But I love the response that the tax collector gives. He just says he beats his breast, right? He, he, just, he just is in that moment of complete brokenness, and he just says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, right? I think that's a picture of what it means to be spiritually bankrupt, to be to be poor in spirit, is to come to that complete identification of my condition and my need for God. <clears throat> so as we so as we look at this idea of being poor in spirit um, and broken in spirit, what, what what should that compel us to do? What would what would the action? What would the the, the thing that we need to do in our life this week? What would that look like for us today? And I think when we get to the point where we're poor in spirit, it should lead us to a moment of being broken and surrendered. Right? Like when we get to the point and we've been able to identify our sin and we've been able to identify um, our um, condition and our need, we end up being broken and surrendered people. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11, he says, For godly grief, right, this, this, this brokenness over our sinful condition, our godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For, for, see, that what earnest, uh, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness... To clear yourselves with indignation, with fear, with longing, with zeal, with punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Right? This godly grief should, should get us to a point of being broken. Because in that broken moment is where God wants to use us. You see, God uses broken things. I love this quote um, that, I, that I saw this week from Adrian Rogers. If you're not familiar, he uh, was a phenomenal pastor. Um, and, and he said this, he said, men throw broken things away, but God never uses anything until he first breaks it. And I love that paradigm shift, right? Like we take things and we think that they're broken, even people that we think are broken, and we just kind of throw them out, right? I mean, that's, that's what the Pharisee was doing here. He's like, man, man, look at this poor old tax collector. He's not worth anything. But God only uses those things that have first been broken. Right? Because when they've been broken, then they're ready to be used. And so the call for us today is to be is to be broken and surrendered. The idea of of of, of putting up that white flag, right? That white flag of surrender saying, you know what, I can't do it on my own anymore. In fact, I can't do it on my own at all. I never could. Maybe I was I was deceived for, for a moment thinking that I could, but I can't. And so we put up the white flag of surrender in our life. It reminds me of a, of a story. You see, um, surrender is an interesting thing because we have to understand what we're surrendering to before we surrender. Um, history tells us that there was this story of Alexander the Great. Uh, if you guys remember, he was the, the king of Macedonia. He was a conqueror of Asia and Syria and Babylon and Persia. In fact, he almost conquered the entire world. Um, and history tells us that one day he was on his war path and he was going along from place to place, just conquering all of these, these nations and these places that he would come to. 
and he had a small company of soldiers with him, um, and he approaches this strongly walled and fortified city. And he gets up to the wall, and he yells up to the, to the person in charge, to the king there, and he says, I call for your surrender. And the king looks at him, and he says, he says, well, why should I surrender to you? Alexander the Great looks at him and says, maybe you need a demonstration. And so he calls for his soldiers, for his troops, and he says, I want you to line up, and they get in a single file line. And then he tells them to march. And they start marching. And all of a sudden, there's a cliff, and they start marching right off the cliff. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. After ten men had, had walked right off of the cliff, Alexander said, stop, and they returned back to him. At the sight of that, this king surrendered everything he had because he knew that a man that had control over his army in such a way that Alexander did, that there was nothing that could stop him. You see, in the same way as we look at God, a God who is in control of everything, right, who holds the world together in his hand, that God is in control. And when we look at him, our only response should be surrender and brokenness, right, because of who he is, because of the greatness of him. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, right? So when we come to Christ, we come with the white flag of surrender. We realize that it's not about us. See, Paul got this idea. Paul understood this well. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ. I've surrendered all that it means to be me, and now I am Christ. I've put on Christ. I'm so broken, I realize there's nothing I can do. I'm so dependent on God that I have nothing to do but surrender in my life. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says in, in chapter 16, verse 24 through 25, he says, this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a picture of surrender, of brokenness, surrender <coughs> in our life. And surrender is hard. Brokenness is hard. It's a hard, it's a hard place to get to because we have to get all of us out of the way. That's the whole idea of being spiritually poor is getting us out of the way. And so what I, what I would like for us to do um, is, I think it's great to have discussion, um, obviously. We do that quite, quite frequently. Um, but sometimes it's good to just sit in a moment and just between you and your maker and just have that moment to just kind of think for a few minutes of what it is that God wants to speak to you about. Is there areas in your life that you still haven't surrendered over to him? Are there things that you're still trying to carry and do on your own, right? Because Jesus says it's the poor in spirit that get into the kingdom. It's those that have put up the white flag of surrender. Those are the ones that will come into his kingdom and be a part of his kingdom. And so um, there's, a, there's a song that um, came out several years ago um, by, by a band called All Sons and Daughters. Um, and it's, it's, it's all about surrender and this idea of surrender. And so as we have that playing and, and the lyrics are going to be up here, so I would encourage you to read over those. But also think about in your life, like, are there areas, are there, are there crevices of your heart and your mind that you still haven't completely surrendered, surrendered over? That you haven't got to the place of being broken and given those over to God? And so as we sit here and, and watch this, um, I would just encourage you to think through those things for yourself. And then we'll come back together and talk about what it means to be part of this kingdom of heaven. So hopefully while you were watching that, God was, was churning something in your heart, um, maybe brought some things to think about, um, because it's important. It's important, as Jesus says, these are the ones that will inherit, that will get the kingdom. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, uh, he said, this is a paradox that puzzles many. For the poor in spirit often seem to have nothing, yet they have the kingdom of heaven. So they have everything. So I think that's the, the point is that when we come to the end of ourselves and we're truly broken, right? When we come to understanding that those that have nothing inherit everything, when that flips in our minds, we start to see 
why Jesus, what Jesus said was so important for our lives. So the upside down promise, right? The promise here, the, the perspective was that those that are poor in spirit are blessed, right? That's, a, that's, that's, that's hard for us to get, right? But the promise is also just as upside down, right? That those poor who have nothing are going to inherit everything, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, this 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 kingdom that's going to encompass everything, it's as as to say that those that are poor on this earth will inherit everything in eternity. It's an upside down perspective, you see, because our world says that blessed are the rich, for theirs is the kingdom of the world. And to a point, that's true, right? And you look at our culture, you look at our our world around us, and 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 you think, man, the movers and shakers in our world that seem to have everything and influence. Those are the ones that have money. There's power and all of that. But Jesus flips that upside down and says, yeah, they're, momentarily they may have that, right? But it's ultimately the poor in spirit. And I think this is what it is. Those who have surrendered themselves, those who are spiritually broken and bankrupt are then those that inherit everything that is to come. They earn it all, right? And so as he says again, we talked about this a little bit last week, but the kingdom of heaven, right? One of the questions that comes up is, is this a future promise or is this a present promise, right? We think about heaven, we think about, man, one day, right? In glory, there's going to be this, these streets of gold and there's a day coming when, when all of this will be perfected. But is, is that just something that we wait for or is there something? And I think the answer is, is yes. There's present reality of being a part of the kingdom. But there's also going to be a future fulfillment of that when it's completed, right? So like we talked about, there's coming a day. Um, so we experience it in part, but not in whole. Um, as, as one pastor has said it, he says, we are people of the gap. We live in the gap. See, we are not what we once were, but we're also not what we're going to be one day. We're living in this gap period. Right? And so we get to experience some of the blessing and some of the incredible things about being a part of the kingdom. I mean, we get to have Jesus as our king of our life. And so we get that blessing. We get that inheritance today, but yet we still wait for the fulfillment, the completion of that one day when Jesus will come back and make all things new. As we talked about in our series in Romans chapter 8, we are kind of in the already but the not yet. And so we are sojourners in, in this way. Paul, Paul uh, describes us, and Peter specifically describes us as sojourners, just kind of walking around, right? We are, we're people who live in tents, not in houses. We're just kind of passing through. And so we get to experience what it's like to be kingdom citizens, but not to the full extent. And we get to look forward to that one day. And so that's the promise. That's what the hope is. If we live this life, if we are broken, people spiritually broken people then we get to be in the kingdom um and and you know it's kind of one of those things this week i was telling some people uh, i had my message all laid out i was ready to go come wednesday i had my presentation together wednesday i was good to go thursday family day friday got back into it studying it was still kind of like i think i'm good and then last night just something hit me it was like i, was like, ah, I need to throw something just wasn't clicking and, and last night or yesterday evening something finally clicked in my mind and it's this. I used to think this whole idea of poor inheriting the kingdom was so like, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, and then it just clicked in my mind last night. See, if you are a, a king of a kingdom or you're a citizen of a kingdom, you can't be a citizen of two kingdoms, right? Um, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other, right? You can't be a citizen of two kingdoms. And so if we want to be citizens of a greater kingdom, of a heavenly kingdom, then we have to be broken and surrendered to the kingdom of this world and give it all up for something that's so much greater. And I think that's the picture that, that he's trying to get across in his beatitude. Those that are poor in spirit, those that realize that there's nothing they can do on their own, those that have seen and identified their own sin, those that realize they can't fix it and need complete dependence on God, those people that raise the white flag of surrender, those are the ones then that will become citizens of heaven. And so as we think about that in our lives this week, right, going forward, as we walk out of those doors, um, we're, we're, we're going to get hit with the world's perspective again. We're going to go back to life. And, it, for, you know, it's, it's wonderful being together, um, but we're going to walk out of here and, 
most of us will go to a job on Monday and we're going to get hit with people who have a completely different perspective, who are living for everything they can see, everything they can touch right now. And so we need to make sure that we resolve this in our minds and in our hearts. And so based on some of those areas that you have identified that need to be broken down in your heart, areas that you need to surrender, right? The question is, what are you going to do about that this week, right? There's things that you're still holding on to. If there's ways that you're still trying to be good enough, earn enough, how are you going to let go of that this week, right? When you start to feel that insecurity come in, when you start to feel like I need to have this and I need to have that, how are you going to let those things go? What are you going to do about that? Maybe another question to think about is, are you putting more stock in yourself than in the God who created you? Are you putting more ability in yourself to fix your problems than you are to God? Right? And if that needs to change, then, then we need to let go of some of those things this week. Um, we need to let go. I, I tell you, man, I was uh, having a conversation with Nicole this morning, and I said, man, the last few days have been so incredible in my walk with Jesus. Um, because I, I started this, this new study, and uh, it's, it's all around the idea of, of dying to self. Um, and so it's like this, you get into the Word for an hour, and you just study about what it means to, to die to yourself. And I said, it's hard. Like, it, it, you have to get up an hour early, and that was hard. Like, this morning, I was thinking, like, oh, I could just sleep till 7 o'clock, and I'm going to get up, and it's going to be great. I got to go to bed, I got to set the alarm, and it hit me. I'm like, oh, wait, if I'm going to do what God's called me to do, it means i got to get up at 6 o'clock. It wasn't quite as glorious, and, and, and it wasn't quite as, as intriguing. But this morning, I got into the Word, and I got to study and, and, and just, just feel what it means to, to get rid of all of that selfish pride. And it's been incredible, but it takes work and effort in our life. So are you willing to do that? Are you willing to put that in? Are you willing to surrender those things? Maybe it's conversations you need to have. Um, but whatever it is today, um, I would just encourage you to, to make that resolve today. Identify those things and make that resolve today. So as we go next week, everything else is going to build on this platform, right? So if we're still trying to hold on to some of self and that we can do it on our own, we're going to miss everything else. And so it's vital that we get to that port where we're completely broken and surrendered. And so Tom's going to come and, and lead us uh, in, in one last song. And this is a song of uh, response. Um, and I love calling it response because whenever we hear the word of God teach, we have a response to that. What are we gonna, how are we going to respond to what God is teaching us through his word? And so what is our response to that today? If you need to pray, um, grab somebody to pray with you. Um, we're a little shorthand, so I'm going to jump back and, and run the, the computer thing for the lyrics so you guys know what to sing, uh, even though you'll probably know this one pretty well. Um, but if you need to pray, if you need to commit something to God, this morning, do that. This time is for you. Um, Tom picked out a song. I didn't even realize that it was going to line up so beautifully um, with what we're talking about today. But um, we're just going to sing um, I Surrender All. And I can't think of a more appropriate words or hymns for, for what Jesus is calling each one of us to do. So uh, if you will, uh, stand with us if you can. And we're going to just sing this last uh, response. And